0: Louise Plinker is a writer, producer, director, comedian, filmmaker, photographer, songwriter, and drummer. She co-founder of Premier Radio Networks, which is now a division of iHeartMedia. Her film making resume includes a Family Band, The Calcell Story, a documentary that appeared on Showtime for two years and is now available on Amazon Prime. Her short documentary, Margaret Singer, Seeking Light, recently screened at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. She writes a weekly advice column for NewsHawk.com and founded the advice app for teens, Ask Wheezy. Her current project, The Media Path Podcast, is Louise's fifth podcast with co-host Fritz Coleman, where Louise explores in deep Does on films, books, TV, and music, where they become obsessed with a given topic. Louise grew up in Buffalo, New York, and as a kid, several role models, including a teacher, doctor, and her father saw her potential and helped her find her path as a creative. After finding her potential through organizational tactics, she was able to build a unique career in show business, interviewing, and working with many A-list celebrities along the way. Louise is full of stories and wisdom and delivered in her unmistakable style. Louise, welcome to the One Away Show.
1: Thank you for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So Louise, tell us, what is uh, your One Away moment?
1: Well, I'm sure there's many, many moments that make up a a person or that impact a personality, correct? But so I want to go back to childhood. You know, I, I had great parents, but I was kind of a lost case I was, I was a bit of a mess as a child and, you know, children aren't really kind of thoughtful. They're just sort of reacting, right? They're kind of in the moment and reacting to whatever's going around them as they, as they attempt to form their personalities. So I'm going to take you back to a moment where I'm in fifth grade. My teacher is Mrs. Fleischman and she was a lovely person who really, really liked kids and I think understood kids. And I can remember her standing in front of the class and holding up a yo-yo and saying, this yo-yo goes to the most improved student this week. And she made direct eye contact with me, which I took as a challenge, and not mm-hmm. just as a challenge to win the yo-yo, but as, as a, an incentive between me and her where I understood that she felt I could improve. Mm. That that eye contact meant that she believed that I was not working up to my potential as she would maybe perhaps write on a report card that went home so that she meant it as a challenge to me. You're capable of improving more than any other kid in this classroom. She looked directly at me and I was like, game on, let's do this. So, mm. I don't remember how I applied myself, Brian. I just know that I won the yo-yo. It also doesn't matter that on my way home from school, the bus stopped suddenly. I dropped the yo-yo. It slid to the back of the bus where there were two boys who claimed they never saw it, but they took my yo-yo, which is hardly the point, Brian. The point is that, I think it's important to let kids know that you believe in them and that you believe that they're capable of doing something difficult, of of applying themselves and doing something that seems challenging, and that each of us is capable of improving in increments daily, hourly, weekly, right? And I don't mean that we're not going to suffer setbacks, but those are always lessons. Anytime there's a setback, that's a lesson. And we can all do a little bit better in every aspect of our lives. We can always fine-tune as we, as we go along, as we learn more, right? So that's why I like that moment. I like that she believed in me enough to make that eye contact. And I don't think I would have gotten that yo-yo just because she intended to give it to me. I think she was saying, you have to do better because <laughs> I know you're capable of it. So uh, yeah, the carrot. Rather than the stick,
0: I like yeah. that approach. It worked for me now uh, Louise, thanks for sharing the story and I mean clearly a very formative moment where maybe a teacher saw in you what you couldn't see in yourself correct, and then you were able to live up to that my My question to you is what do you think made her? you that look when she was sharing you know the most improved student will get the yo-yo and you you felt that she looked at you and that was a sign what do you think that she noticed in you that was a gap that you were not living up to your full potential
1: well she may have been like one of those mysterious paintings where it looks like she's looking at everyone she was a magical person (laughs) but uh I think that she probably saw my personality, that there was a spark there, that I was funny, that I was engaging, and that she thought that my work didn't really represent what she was seeing in me, in whatever she was picking up on in terms of, you know, certain kids have a spark that you recognize that, oh, that kid has something. And then they turn in a paper and it's all erased and You know, and you've erased it to the point where you've torn through the pages. You know, back then we didn't have computers. And so my work, I'm sure, looked very sloppy because I was a mess. So it's just a matter of, well, you know, there's work habits, right? So back then the work habit would have been, you know, write out what you want to do and make all your erasures and cross things out and then take out a new piece of paper and start over and make it look nice. You know, I wasn't putting that extra what's required into mm. into my work i was just kind of getting it done or not or or i can i can vividly remember taking a mimeograph that was the homework folding it and putting in a textbook with some vague concept that i was going to remember which textbook i stuffed this into i didn't have good workflow i wasn't mm. organized i was all over the place it, it was just a matter of you know get me more focus and get me to understand that there are consequences to every behavior that you're going to pay for this later if you if you placed it somewhere kind of vague right now what makes you think you're going to remember where that is a day from now because you won't so we have to learn from those wounds of feeling like you walked into class and you don't have your homework and you don't know where it, where it, where it is it has to feel so uncomfortable that you don't want to have that feeling again so you put a system into place that will help you remember where you put things and remember your workflow and remember where you were where did you bookmark yourself and where do you need to pick up instead of thinking oh i have to do my homework and then thinking oh i don't even know where to begin because i don't know where i left off you know these are the things that we need to learn in school or in college like how did where did i bookmark myself did i bookmark mm. myself so that when i go back to this task I'm, I'm not so overwhelmed by not knowing what i've done and what i haven't done that i don't know how to finish it Mm. And I think that's critical to success is like knowing how to finish something. And sometimes knowing how to finish something simply means knowing where you left off. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck and get overwhelmed. But I think you asked me what Mrs. Fleshman saw in me. I don't know. She probably just thought that I was a smart aleck and that I was getting a lot of laughs in class and therefore I must be smart and my grades should be better than what they are. And that's a teacher that, doesn't just see a goofy kid, but sees like, oh, well, a goofy kid is probably a smart kid. That's a teacher that sees layers in people. That's a gifted yeah. that's a gifted teacher.
0: Totally. And what a gift for her to maybe teach you a lesson like that so early to maybe you, as you look back on it today, the organizational development and realizing maybe perhaps early that being a messy creative isn't, you know the most optimal way. I think there's a lot of things that I've read over the years that actually the creatives who are the most organized are actually the ones who you know get the farthest, the fastest. And so I think what a, what a, um, prominent lessons that you you got to learn at a young age. Now uh, a question a layer deeper is you know grow, you talked a little bit about childhood. You mentioned your parents at the beginning of the show. I mean. Do you think your your parents, by how you grew up or your childhood, it influenced maybe some of those behaviors that you didn't really know how to finish the job, or you 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 didn't you know you weren't bringing your full self into the classroom? Was maybe anything from childhood that stands out that maybe created that initial gap the teacher saw that you could overcome? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I mean, my my mom had four kids back to back to back, so she had like four kids five and under. My dad was a um, had suffered from polio and lost his ability to walk. So here's my mom running this household with absolutely no help from my dad, just in terms of the physical needs of the household. I'm not saying he wasn't emotionally present and that he didn't uh, support us in, in every possible way, financially, emotionally and otherwise. But like if you've got one, two slippery kids in the bath and another kid running down the hallway, you know, you can't yell Marv, grab Amy. You know, he can't, or could you grab the the baby powder off the top shelf? You know, you just don't have that extra set of hands, it's all on you, Mm. and that's what my mom, you know, she got to that point of just being overwhelmed every day, I think, when we were all little, and so, um, you know, we were all back to back to back. And when I got into middle school and I was still pretty lost and disorganized, they hired a tutor named Dr. Zachary Clements, he was a college professor, I believe, but he was making some extra money giving kids good study habits. And that there's a guy who came into my bedroom, we sat at my white desk, and he didn't actually help me with my homework. He just showed me how to focus and how to concentrate. And he noticed things about me that I appreciated in myself, that no one else in the household appreciated. For example, I was a drummer, and no one... Never wanted me to play the drums or make any mm. noise at all. And, you know, he would hear me making a little, creating a little rhythm on the desk. And he would say, wow, do that again. No one ever in my household had ever remotely complimented me. It was always just stop drumming. Oh. And, you know, I think if we can notice the things in kids that they value,
0: mm.
1: that that's a belief in them that they may not be getting. If it's, if you have to live with that child day to day, you may not you'd be able to give the child that kind of reassurance or that kind of appreciation because it's just so annoying to have to live with it all day in and day out when there's so much, the bedlam is already like, you know, at a fever pitch, but you know, just him saying that to me that that he appreciated the little Mm -hmm. rhythm that I was, that I was able to create. And he would do things like with flashcards where you'd write, he would write a vocabulary word on the front and then on the back, I would write the definition and, you know, he just ta- he taught me work ethic and how to how to apply myself to a task. And, mm. and not, before you put, in other words, if you're going to start this homework assignment, don't stop as soon as Batman comes on. You know, finish it uh, because you're not going to remember where you left off. You know, like th- those types of things, like as long as you're at it, get it done, put it in a folder that's marked what it is The you know, a folder. A folder for this subject. A folder for this subject. A folder for this subject. Only put things where they belong, so you don't have to, you know, handle the same piece of paper several different times. You know, don't put it halfway through the house. Put it. Walk all the way through the house and put it on your desk. You know, th- those types of things. I still, I'm still very conscientious about because I think I am ADD, and I think the best way, you know, for an ADD ADD person to function is to complete tasks and to know where you put your bookmark so that you can return to it and and pick up where you left off and, and to take an item into your home. Don't set it down on the steps. Walk all the way up the steps and put it where it belongs and then come back down the steps. It's good exercise anyway. And you'll spend even more energy looking for it when you put it in incrementally along your path <laughs> instead yeah. of where it belongs. You know, those are some of the things that I think I learned from Dr. Clements is just, those kind of habits, study habits, and just life habits that help you spend your day less frustrated uh, and give you more peace of mind that tasks are completed and that, you know, and that when you think about the task, you're not thinking, "Uh oh, I don't even know. I don't know if I paid that bill. And I don't know if this is the most recent bill even, or where I put the original bill or, you know, whatever it is in your life, just if you're holding the piece of paper, if you got a piece of mail that says there's money owed, go to your desk, write a check, get a stamp, put in the envelope, take it down to the mailbox. Just handle every piece of paper once. You know whether it's virtual or, or that's physical. You know a lot of people pay pay their bills online. You know whatever it is, just you know leave yourself a note. Okay, when I wake up tomorrow morning, this is what I'm going to do. Then you never have to think about it again. You don't have to wonder like, oh, did I do that? <laughs> we're laying awake at night, like oh my God, did I do that? Did I call him back? How many unanswered emails? Ah, I just kind of learned at a young age, if you if you do the thing while you're thinking about the thing, then the next time you think about the thing, you can know you did the thing.
0: Totally. And I mean, what, what powerful habits though, right? I, you said something, study habits and life habits. I mean, I think they're two of the same. Yeah. Um, and just to go back to what you were saying about your mom, you know, based on, you know, with polio, with your dad, you know, you, you, I don't want to speak for you, but maybe because your mom was handling so much, there were so many things that she got to 70, 80%, but never got to hundred because she was scrambling with just so many responsibilities that just, she couldn't fully do on her own. And maybe that maybe subconsciously you, you kind of witnessed that, right. And that kind of bled into who you were, you know, without realizing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in 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 good ways. I mean, hopefully we learn we can learn by negative example as as well as we can learn by positive example. But, you know, maybe one of the drawbacks to that household was that I didn't have any kids by choice of the four of us. Only one of us has had a child so we weren't good breeders <laughs> mm. and i and i don't know if that's related to seeing a father uh, the seeing marriage as a as a um sacrifice of your own talents i i just don't know i mean it's something i think about quite often but you know for sure there was a lot of love and a lot of laughter and a lot of all all of that good stuff but it it was chaotic it was there was a lot of chaotic uh, energy. And then my dad would come home. And if my mom was in a bad mood, he'd think he would behave as if it must be our fault. And you internalize that as a child, you know, cause he just wanted, you know, happy wife, happy, happy life. Like he wanted, he was trying hard to keep my mom happy. And then we were making that difficult, you know, but and, yeah, for people ahead. that are raising kids, especially during COVID, like you guys are the heroes. <laughs> you guys are the true heroes of the world for sure.
0: Yeah. I've heard, I heard some horror stories and you had the most respect and admiration for the people doing it uh, yeah. during this time. Louise, I, and one, one question before I back up to your, the one away moment, but cause I can see a bit of a thread line. Do you think I, well, one, I'm curious about your relationship with your dad growing up, how, you know, I saw the Facebook post that you shared about him uh, maybe a month or so ago but I'm just curious how your relationship was with your dad um, given his condition. And then, you know, you seem to really speak uh, so highly about Mr. Clements and like what he saw in you and, you know, or how he encouraged you to play the drums or, you know, just, just showing you, you know, an alleyway that no one had ever supported. So what, what was your relationship with your dad? And based on that, do you think, you saw something in Mr. Clements just because he, he supported you in a way a male figure had it. I'm just curious.
1: Well, Mr. Clements was a doctor and then he must've been in his thirties. And I, I would look at his, um, he had like a tie clip. I would look at the initials. Cause I, I didn't know anyone who had a Z as a first name like back then. And I would wonder like, you know, what does a Z stand for? I didn't know it was, it was just Dr. Clements, but it, it was, it's Zachary and he, he was a scholar i mean he went he went on and did a lot of lectures in education and then he came out to came out to california i met up with him down in orange county i got to see him in action like just a mesmerizing motivational speaker you know he has a ton of personality if he's still with us um because he's not even as old as my parents so he's probably still with us but what a what a cool guy but yeah, you know, he was a young guy. So it was like, he was handsome and he was paying attention to me. So that was, that was all good stuff. But, uh, my dad and I were very close. Like my dad got me. And I think that a lot of successful women will say that, you know, I think there's, you find patterns where successful women will say that they had a dad who believed in them. So my dad was a, was a businessman. He had fought in world war II, came home without a scratch. He had a very impoverished childhood, you know, growing up in the, in the depression. Then he fights in world war two in the trenches, like on the front lines throughout the Normandy invasion, the battle of the bulge and everything. And he comes home without a scratch. And then three years later, he, he catches polio. Mm-hmm. You kind of wonder if maybe his immune system didn't take a hit during, cause those, those guys on the front line, uh, in world war two. They were malnourished, you know, we had to get yeah. supply lines down from the Russians or we weren't going to be able to push through into Germany. That's what the Battle of Bulge was like. We crossed the Rhine and they pushed us back back across the Rhine. Um, so, you know, you just wonder if in in a lot of ways, polio was referred to as infantile paralysis and my dad catches it at age twenty seven from a guy he was playing golf with we believe and that, and that guy was fine you know it was a lot like covid like you could be fine but then my dad wow. got it and polio is a virus and a fever raging through you while it's raging through you it's taking out muscle tissue it's taking out muscle um, neurons motor neurons mm. you still have to keep your sensory neurons on like if it were a car accident you can feel everything you just can't move the muscles that have been affected once the once the fever abates you're left with the damage that you're left with. And so for a lot of people that included their diaphragm, their ability to breathe, and for my dad it was his legs and he wasn't he didn't have enough muscles left that where he was going to have the capacity to walk. But everything else about him was completely normal and it probably cut cut his life short because when you're not mobile, when you're not walking you're not creating the vascular pumping that helps your heart move blood throughout your system. And he didn't, he, the blood pools, your ankles get swollen, your muscles atrophy, et cetera, and your heart's working super hard. And, uh, but he, he ran a successful business. He raised four fantastic kids. He was a wonderful husband to my mother. They were engaged when it happened, when the polio happened and they had to put off their, their wedding. Mm-hmm. And, He just really, he was a very insightful person who knew how to listen. He knew how to look at your face and know if you were troubled and he would question you until you were willing to tell him what was bothering you. He was that type of empathic person. Uh, People were really drawn to him. He had a quiet charisma. He -hmm. was very handsome. And he was, he was the person, like all my cousins would say that that was their favorite uncle you know, more compliment could you give to someone that, you know, that is everybody's favorite uncle. It's quite a, quite a testament.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I really appreciate you sharing. And uh, it sounds like just a special man and a fighter and, you know, someone who really sought to understand and, you know, you're very much like that. I feel like quite inquisitive and empathic and I'm sure he passed some of those qualities down to you. So appreciate you sharing that relationship. You know, Louise, I want to, you know, now that we kind of just say uncovered the past a bit here i i want to go back to your teacher who who identified that you know gap in in your effort and who showed, taught you a lot of lessons right um at a young age and uh, similar to mr clements you you seem to really in your career and, and just knowing you' as a person really look after those who are younger, who have talent and to bring that out of them. I'm just curious if you can share with us how you think maybe those experiences from a young age have shaped you and uh, some of the pursuits that you've taken on today.
1: I think I think that it's it's really important for all of us, no matter what we do with our lives, for all, all of us when we're in the presence of of a, of a young person, to pay attention and and to listen and ask questions and to make eye contact and to show them that what they think and what they feel and what they hope and dream is important. And I, I've tried to do that as I've walked walked through the the working world and uh, made my way into becoming a boss. You know, I ran a, a a large company, Premier Radio Networks, and hired people, all people that were younger than me, predominantly and you just want to pay that forward you want to be that person in their lives you know even though you expect something from them because they're they're earning a salary so it's not quite a mentorship it's like more of an exchange right and sometimes you have you do have to let people go because of because work quality is suffering and everyone around them is suffering if they're not pulling their weight uh doing what's expected or what's necessary for the team but when it's working out, and which is, you know, 95% of the time, because you went through a vetting process to hire this person, these are really important relationships. If you're somebody's first job, they, they're gonna look back on that the way they look back on their childhood. They're gonna look back on that and everything's gonna compare to it, right? It's gonna be this frame of reference that you're creating that they're they're gonna, it's gonna be this is a touch point that they're gonna look look to and things are either going to be better than this first job or never (laughs) compared to it, but, Mm. you know, and then they're going to become bosses and you want them to be inspired, hopefully by the way that you treated them in the workplace and, and that create a culture of, of kindness, but also one in which we, we kind of encourage the best in one another, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of really positive energy group think you know, that's, that's what I tried to do. I tried to take what I had learned from my dad, from Dr. Clements, from Mrs. Fleshman, and, you know, help that create in me a nurturing uh, positive presence in in the lives of those with whom I worked.
0: Absolutely. You know, um, Louise, you said something when you're, you said when you're in the presence of a child, it's, it's good to look, kind of look at them in the eyes and like, make sure that you, you listen, right. Um, mm-hmm. What, what's what it take in your opinion to be extremely present when you're, when you're with individuals you're working with and creating you know foundations for them to grow and, and form positive impressions. What does it take to give them that space and that kind of presence? How, how have you been able to do that to cultivate someone bringing out their best self helping someone live out their full potential.
1: Have you ever taken any improv classes?
0: I have. Yeah.
1: So you you understand the rules of improv really apply to all of life, right?
0: More or less.
1: So if you're in a meeting and somebody says something that isn't maybe a great idea, you don't shoot it down. Do you say yes. And uh, you move the conversation forward. You don't you don't make you don't create an environment within which someone would be afraid to say their next idea, which may be the killer idea, right? You always want to keep people contributing and move the conversation forward in, in a productive way. You don't want someone weighing something down that keeps saying stuff that doesn't make any sense. But why would that person be in the workplace anyway? Right. So you've hired these people because you believe in them. So these are all ideas that they should, if it comes, if it comes into their mind and they think it's worthy of sharing. I think it's important to listen and to treat everybody's thoughts with respect even if it wasn't the idea that that fueled the next idea like maybe it made someone think of something that they weren't going to think of if that person hadn't said something so you really want to just keep keep the atmosphere healthy so that mm. good things can grow uh, mm. the soil the soil is is fertile so that good things can be planted and good things can grow so that when someone speaks, it's not, they're not like getting some side eye from someone thinking who cares what she thinks or, yeah, I, I think it's important that people are valued and that there's nothing worse than that feeling of saying something, whether it's in class or in a meeting at work and feeling like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know, that's going to keep you awake at night and it's going to keep you from saying the next thing that, that comes into your mind. So you always want to want people to feel valued.
0: I think there's some people out there, I think you need to see that light in everyone that you're working with to realize how to create an environment for them that they can thrive uh, to your point. And even if their first idea is not always the best, right? How do you aid, like you said, aid the conversation along to make them feel supported so they may can speak up again? And I, I think that's, that's hard to do. Um, at times. But I also think, like you said, it, it creates a, a very kind of strong rooted environment for people to walk on. Um, it, and so that that makes a lot of sense. You know, Louise, a, a question I, I've been thinking about as you've been talking, and even from the beginning of the show is, um, you know, like your teacher, Mr. Clements, are there any younger individuals that you feel that I mean, I know you've worked with a lot of different people through your career, a lot of different kids in different respects. Are there any maybe one or two people that you'd like to talk about where you feel like you have made a significant difference on their life by maybe seeing something in them, their parents didn't, or the people around them didn't? And, and you could and you were helped to pave a way forward for them that they couldn't see?
1: Wow. Uh so you're maybe talking about not people that worked for me, but people that I have mentored.
0: Yeah. You know, like when I remember when I met you and you were, I think it was for the journals podcast and you had those groups of really talented creatives in high school and people like that, you know, where you've really given them a gift, uh, by letting them kind of see their natural talent come to life.
1: Well, in a lot of cases, I feel like they were going to be successful anyway, such as you, which are, you know, always can see the potential in people, uh, the way they just the way they see the world and the way that they're able to uh, troubleshoot or to articulate their thoughts. You know, my nephew's one of those people where he didn't really need me. I mean, I'm ho- hopefully I was part of the equation, but you know, he's a brilliant guy now 24 working in high tech in Sunnyvale. I taught a standup comedy program as an afterschool program for kids Because I think it nurtures self-esteem, creative thinking, and just the ability to speak in front of people, which is a gift that you'll cherish throughout the rest of your life. But, you know, one of the kids, and there's been hundreds of kids, but one kid that that stands out is a kid named Jeff Feldman. He was a kid who I met at a Boys and Girls Club. I didn't realize it when I met him, but he was in the process of losing his mother. She died. Mm. Yeah. and this was a kid where maybe at the age of nine, he he took the microphone and I ne- I've never really seen anything like it since he was like, this makes you believe in reincarnation because that kid was a comedian. I didn't have to teach him anything. He just he had the presence and the bearing of a of a comedian, hmm. but he needed a lot of special attention because he, he, you know, he had hit a wall. His dad was, he didn't have a dad. His dad had suffered an aneurysm when he was a baby and lived in a, in a care facility in Florida. Uh, Jeff was living after his mother died with his grandmother and he had a lot of behavior problems. I believe there were already some real, really severe red flags in terms of what he was doing to comfort himself. And I want to go into detail about, it cause it's his private life, but he got adopted by a, a wonderful couple when he was 13 and they saw all of his potential as well and then he wound up putting himself through college even at the age of 24 25 26 just because he wanted to be a person who had gone to college uh, he made all that happen and he's gotten back to doing stand up comedy which it's completely his choice you know most of the kids that I teach stand up comedy to are not going to become stand up comedians it's just kind of a a skill set that's helpful just like an improv class is. But you know, he just stands out to me as being a very resilient person who's been through a lot and has created himself. And you can find Jeff Feldman on Instagram. He's posting mm. his stand up stuff all the time.
0: And wow. I'm very proud of him. Oh my God. I'll have to check it out. You shared, you know, sometimes when you meet people, it's just saying the times of their biggest struggle, you can it helps form the deepest relationships and bonds, and uh, and I, there's a number of people I think about, whether it was through sports or certain chapters of my own life, where people I met or you know met me in a certain period, uh, it really it creates that ability that really helps shape them and kind of hold on to. So it seems like you really were able to, um, you know, while Jeff had the natural ability and was maybe meant to do this work you know, you were able to push him to more towards that um, because you created a supportive and nurturing environment for him, right? And that's a testament to, to you as well.
1: And I think, you know, one of the things I'd like to add in terms of whether you're teaching or mentoring or just in the workplace with people, <laughs> I, I think what's truly important is to forge one-on-one relationships with as many individuals as possible. I mean, as your company grows, you're not going to be able to know everybody's name but to the extent that you can it's not just enough that you're their boss and that they would come to you to ask for a raise or with a with a concern but to know them as people and to know and to have had one-on-one conversations with each person that's meaningful where you find out some of their history and they and they learn some of yours and i i did learn through my career that you had to set boundaries, you know, if you were going to be somebody's boss, there had to be healthy boundaries. And I wasn't always really good at establishing them or knowing where they should go. So I'm going to say that within healthy boundaries, because I do think that they are important in a employer employee relationship within that they should know that, you know, them, they each person should know that, you know, them, that, you know, the name of their spouse or the name of their dog or the name of their child. These are good things that you, that you should learn, you know, not just because a book says, learn her, his child's name, not just because you read that tip, but because you actually care. And, you know, this child's, you know, he, my child is trying out a new school. Hey, you know, at the, end of the next day, how did that go? How did, how did his first day go? I mean, you should, you should, care enough about people to when you're in business and when you're when you're functioning in in any capacity at a high level you should not just be caring about the bottom line you should be doing this because you really want to give everyone a place that they've devoted their lives to to come Mm -hmm. and work for you that's their life and that's most of their relationships and that's most of their day Mm -hmm. when they're not with their family when they're not asleep is they've chosen to be with you Mm -hmm. and so they're not just there to provide perform a function for you in exchange for their salary. They really are on your team. And so you should be doing this as much because you want to make a good living as because you want to create a great place for people. And the more you know about the people, the more fun it is to create a great place for them. It's exponentially fun. And I just highly recommend that you don't just set up boundaries to the extent where Oh it's better if they don't know anything about me and I don't know anything about them that's healthier. You need to know them. Mm. You need to care about them and you need to want to create the best the workplace environment so that they're healthy and happy and that and, and in ex, in exchange for that they are more productive. You know it it really does it's not just because it's the right thing to do it's also I think it's it's the wise thing to do for for your company that your employees are, are happy and that they feel like you really get them and know them and value them.
0: Absolutely. And, and the one thing I'll, I'll add to that too, and then kind yeah. of speak to is um, I think so one of the lessons I'm learning is like the more emotionally developed the, the leader is the more emotionally developed and the more they create an environment where other people can be heard and valued, can speak up, can challenge point of views, right. Without feeling scared, um, is, is paramount, especially for, I'd say, people under 30 to 35, because people, I think, are there's more options, I think, and more exposure to things than ever before. And so when environments are created that, um, to your point, where people don't feel like they belong, or people don't feel like the who they're working for, like, actually cares about them, it 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 creates a lot of turnover and it creates a lot of internal issues. Um and so how how do you create a transparent environment in your life? And then like you say, your work life takes up most of, of your time. And so, you know, it's something as a leader I've I've had to start, you know, not doing for the first time, but I think really improving upon and taking a holistic look of how well do I take the time to be present and get to know my people. I care about them. But uh, what can I do a better job to take stock of what's going on in their life? So I think that's really well said. And you, know, you see it firsthand through all the people that you work with.
1: Yeah, not just their lives at home, but also how they are working with one another. And, you know, you can problem solve and you can kind of move people in in a way where, you know, some people are better independent workers and not great on a team others do do better on a team. When you see people, when you see someone throwing other people under the bus, or when you see someone that's pitting people against each other, these are red flags that need to be addressed. You can't just walk away and go like, they need to work it out. You know, you really have to dig in and just figure out like, all right, what's going on. You also have to be sensitive to um, harassment, bullying in the workplace, um, hierarchies that are taken advantage of it's all it's like you're playing the sims really you know everybody's needs have to be attended to and and i mean not in a micromanaging kind of way but in a way where you can't just walk away from a fe- festering situation and expect it to solve itself it's like maybe you promoted this person too young and they don't yet have the skill set to be a boss and to understand all of, all that's involved in human nature and they're not you know they're great brilliant genius at what they do but there, that doesn't necessarily translate into like other people should report to them. They may—that's a completely separate skill set. That of being a boss, as being good at a task and being a boss are completely different skill sets. So not everybody who's good at a task should just get promoted. You know, um, yeah. there's just so much that you have to think about, and you have to watch. You have to watch and pay attention and be sensitive to. You know, how are they? How's everyone doing? You know, is everyone is everyone working to their to their potential and is everyone um working to their strengths
0: kind of kind of agree more and uh i mean it takes a lot of just maturity at a leadership level to recognize if you're putting in people in the right spots if people are in okay. the right spots and um it's just it's so critical and how you lead and develop people and i think something you do so well like you you have an eye for developing individuals and seeing something in them and putting them in the right place to succeed. And that that goes down to a work environment. And so those, those skills are, are so translatable. You know, Louise, the, w- one question I kind of want to ask you at the end here is, you know, one, I really appreciate your just thoughtful insights and just your heart that you, you shared with us today and, and just your view on people in the world. You know, when it's all set and done, in the sense when when you know, how would you want your legacy to be shared? Like, what what would you want it to mean? What would you want people to say about you for what you stood for as a person?
1: I think I would want people to feel inspired to be kinder to one another and to find our common threads, to find the beauty in collaboration, and that although. We have these competitive instincts that are probably there because they help us with survival and such. I think we spend a lot more of our day collaborating, you know. And if you think about the big picture of just flying a drone over your neighborhood, you see people stopping at stop signs and letting other cars go. You see people walking on the sidewalk, not in traffic. <laughs> you know, you see people walking into a store and using a form of currency to purchase items that somebody else has created elsewhere that have made their way into that store. Uh, The collaborate, the evidence of collaboration is absolutely everywhere. You know, I, I think it's 95% of what we do. And so when you feel those competitive moments, like you're, I'm in the wrong line at the grocery store and that line's moving faster, you know, like it feels like some sort of competition, like all of a sudden, like, five minutes of my life is, is worth me getting aggravated or a parking space. You know, the things that we where that competitive nature just kicks in road rage. These moments are not worth it. You know, just where are you going? And so, you know, like that, you can't like be behind this slow car. I mean, when you pass the car and look in the window, yes, you may see someone texting and that's annoying, but you may see like someone who looks like your mom, and you're gonna be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I mean, everyone's a person and they all they come into traffic with their backstory and they go into the grocery store with their backstory and they go into the workplace with their backstory, and like they're all just people. So you don't have to win all the time at everything against everyone that you encounter. Most of them are contributing to your well-being, and someone in front of you in traffic. Could be the doctor who saves your life a year from now. You know, we're all here for a reason. Try to appreciate the good in each other, and that's what I would hope that my legacy would be.
0: Really special. The the grocery store example with people online was so evocative. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: <know>. uh, <laughs> Feel it. We all. The instincts kick in. Look, what can I say? But it helps to just take a deep breath and go like, I'm healthy. I, my mom loves me. I mean, I, I, I've got survivor to watch when I get home. Like it's good in my day, you know, it's okay if I spend five more minutes paying for my groceries, it's okay.
0: No doubt. Well, Louise, thank you for your time and your thoughts and vulnerability and, and, and sharing with us in such a candid way. It was really special and you've been such a dear friend and, Uh, person I've been able to work with in um, various capacities and uh, just appreciate your support from the beginning of my journey and, um, you know, really, really appreciate you and what you stand for. So thanks for doing this with me today. Well, Brian, you are a very inspirational person. I'm so very
1: proud of you that you're taking all of your talents and your strengths and spreading them around and, and just, uh, you know, creating a, a body of work in, in leading by example in ways that just make me very, very proud. So uh, um, it's a pleasure to be here and and share these moments with you.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Louise. Uh, You uh, been an inspiration for me as well. So thank you. And I can't wait to share this with our audience and and give you something meaningful to share with yours.
1: I'd be happy to do that.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive a written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.